You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. And so, we're going to go forward, and we're going to continue our study of Jesus and the Feast with our fourth installment of this series tonight. And I was so comforted that Jesus worked it out for this evening to be the Feast of Pentecost. Now, how perfect is that? I am not that smart. I am not that clever, but God is. And I find great comfort in knowing that my dad was a lot of things, and one of the things that he was at the top of the list was a Pentecostal preacher. So this is a great feast for us to study today. Amen. So we know that in Jewish culture, there were three feast seasons. There were seven specific feasts within those seasons. We began the first season, which was the season of Passover. And congratulations, my friends, you completed that first season last week with Pastor Tom. We began with the feast of the Passover. Through the Passover, the Hebrews were rehearsing repentance and its meaning. They applied the blood of the lamb to their homes. They invited Jehovah in. And the death that sin brings to us is now removed from our lives when the blood of the spotless lamb is applied in our lives. We're not just to receive forgiveness in our lives, but through the Passover, we understand that we continue to invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Amen. Through the unleavened bread, we continue that process of removing sin from our lives. Through Jesus' death and burial, we too see an illustration of his next step for us. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Glory, hallelujah, that's the best news we've ever been given. That Jesus who knew no sin became the unleavened bread. His body was broken so that you and I could be whole. And through baptism, who we used to be dies and is buried like Jesus was. And just as Jesus came out of the tomb, we too come up out of the water a new person, alive through Jesus Christ. Are you thankful that you've had that experience that the former things are passed away and everything is made new. And so now I want to go to Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so last week we talked about the first fruits. And through that offering, God's people were to acknowledge their total dependence on him. 
through seeing Jesus as the first fruits offering, we understand that because of his resurrection, we too have access to the same power. Not some modified version of it. But Paul lets us know in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and it can, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so let me just pause here to reiterate, and maybe I just need to make it a little bit more plain in this moment, that the Old Testament points us to the cross. Don't ever dismiss the Old Testament as irrelevant to you or to anyone else, because God has established his great plan beginning in the Garden of Eden. And I hope this study helps us realize the clarity of God's purpose from the very beginning of scripture until the very end. That God had a purpose for everything that he would require his people to do in order to prepare them to receive and recognize the Messiah. And so it's very simple. The Old Testament points to the cross. There may be a lot of things we don't understand There may be a lot of things we can't explain why Solomon had so many wives. I do not understand that. That is not okay in my Western opinion, but it's there. There's plenty of other things in the Old Testament that tell us God has a plan and he's using the events of human history to accomplish that plan. And then we get to the New Testament and we read the Gospels and we see Jesus Christ give his life for us. And then the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament points us back to the cross to say, Jesus paid it all. He made all of this available to you and you can live with him forever because of the cross, that Jesus is the theme of this amazing living book from beginning to end. And so the season of Passover was instituted by God for us to learn how to walk in God's peace. You see, we can have God's peace after we leave the altar and we repent of our sins. That peace that we have when we make things right with God, it can go with us. It can remain a part of our lives. That's God's desire. And that peace and that clean feeling that we have when we come up out of the waters of baptism, we can still have that feeling. We can still be at peace with God as if we've just been baptized for the first time. Why? Because it's God's desire for his presence to be so tangible in our lives that we can walk in his peace. But that only happens, and this is why we have the feast to look to. Every day we must continue to surrender our lives completely to God in order to have that peace. And so this week we begin a new feast season, the second of the three, the season of Pentecost. The purpose of the season of Pentecost is to teach us how to walk in God's power. I want to know how to walk in God's power. I hope you do too. Amen. And so let's look again to Leviticus 23. And again, I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation just for clarity's sake. So here we go. Verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain 
to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. So watch the calendar, everybody. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath day, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. Make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour and bake them with yeast. They will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. Along with the bread, present seven one-year-old male lambs with no defects, one young bull and two rams as burnt offerings to the Lord. Pause here and say, aren't you God that Jesus died for your sins and you don't have to do all this anymore? <laughs> These burnt offerings together with the grain offerings and liquid offerings will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then you must offer one male goat as a sin offering and two one-year-old male lambs as a peace offering. The priest will lift up the two lambs as a special offering to the Lord together with the loaves representing the first of your crops. These offerings which are holy to the Lord belong to the priest. That same day will be proclaimed an official day for holy assembly, a day on which you do no ordinary work. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. And so now, that was a lot of information, so let's offer some points of clarity. Obviously, this feast has a lot more instructions than the other ones that we have studied thus far. A lot more offerings to be given. This feast is referred to as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest. So it has two names other than the Feast of Pentecost. But the Feast of Pentecost was celebrated during the wheat harvest. See, I got my prop game, Pastor Tom. This is actually wheat, I think. But anyway, Um, so our calendar for us, this would be uh, the months of May and June would be about the time of year, which probably makes sense to you because we have our Pentecostal revival around the day of Pentecost, either in May or June, depending on when it falls, okay? But the Greek word Pentecost means 50. Pentecost is a one-day feast. And as we read, God's instructions were specific enough for you and I to be able to determine the exact day that the Feast of Pentecost is to begin. Now, again, this is important, so wake someone up next to you and say, pay attention. This 50 days, this is very important, okay? So, here are the instructions included in that. That they were to count 50 days after the first fruits offering. The offering that they were to give included lambs, rams, and a goat. Lots of animals. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Just kidding. I'm sorry. I just had to do that. But that's what I thought of today. A lot of animals being sacrificed at this time. And a lot more required to this feast in order, in terms of what they were actually supposed to bring. The main focus of the offering at Pentecost was the presentation of a wave offering, like first fruits in that regard, all right? And it was especially interesting, these details, I don't know if you caught it, that they were to also bring two loaves of bread made with leaven. 
Remember in unleavened bread, that was no, no, right? For like a week. That was a long time. But they brought two loaves of bread that were supposed to have leaven in them. This offering was an expression of their thanksgiving and acknowledgement of God's provision in their lives through the wheat harvest. They were telling God, we recognize you as the provider of our daily bread. You are taking care of us. And so listen closely now. We're about to go into full gear here. Dr. Booker points out in our book that over time, as the Jewish people began to spread out and populate other nations, this feast would change in its focus through their tradition. It was no longer solely a celebration of harvest because they were no longer all together to do that anymore. But it became a celebration of the receiving of the Torah by Moses on Mount Sinai. And I realized that we just made a hard right turn. You just got to stay with me for just a minute, okay? So why they began celebrating during Pentecost, the giving of the Torah, is simply this. That Jewish scholars traditionally teach that God gave Moses the Torah on the day of Pentecost. The day of the feast. This is not a stretch for us by any means. Exodus 19.1 tells us that the children of Israel arrived at Sinai. Remember the place, the mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Torah. That they came to that place on the third day of the third month. So during this season, all right, the same month that they would celebrate Pentecost. Three days later, on the sixth day of the month, the Bible tells us, God came down on Mount Sinai. So let's read a couple of verses here. In Exodus 19, verses 16 through 20, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. I love that. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And so here we see the Hebrews' second major encounter with God. This encounter is major. Would you agree? This is more profound than the Passover and the death angel. They are seeing and hearing the voice and presence of God for the first time. And the Bible lets us know that God's presence on the mountain that day was something that everyone standing there was able to identify. They could see what was happening on the mountain. They could even feel the mountain shaking. This is what our English Bibles are trying to illustrate for our understanding through thunder and lightning. The people were actually seeing and hearing the voice of God as it spoke to Moses. Can you imagine the spectacle? Wow. 
This idea is consistent with what David wrote about the voice of the Lord in Psalms 29 when he said, The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. We read in Exodus 20 that immediately after God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, the people saw what was happening from afar. Exodus 20. So when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were afraid. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This demonstration of the power of God was completely overwhelming to the Hebrews. They had never seen him before. They had never heard him or saw a manifestation of his presence in this way. And here he is on the mountain in a tangible, visual way. God came down in the morning on a mountaintop to meet with his people for the first time at Sinai, but it would not be the last time. A new covenant was coming. God showed it to Jeremiah the prophet when he wrote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. A new way was coming for God's people to experience his amazing power, Jeremiah wrote. God told him that someday my law will not just be written on tables of stone like I did on Mount Sinai, but someday I will write my law on their hearts. Someday God's people would not just hear his voice through the reading of the Torah. Someday God's people would experience him through a very personal encounter with him. Someday God's people would see his presence move again through fire. Does it sound familiar to anybody yet? I hope so. Jesus fulfilled the feast of Pentecost when he was glorified and ascended into heaven. Our friend John identifies Jesus as that wheat offering they offered on Pentecost in chapter 12 when he says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was that grain of wheat that had to die. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus spent time with the disciples 
teaching them, showing them the scriptures, helping them understand things that they just weren't able to understand before. Luke 24 verses 44 through 49 say, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus was saying all of that studying of the law you've done has prepared you to know who I am and what I'm going to do next. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And thank God they did just as Jesus told them to. Luke continues in Acts chapter 1. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And so they waited. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Now watch this now where they were staying. Peter and John. And James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Dr. Luke works with John to give us all of these important details so that we know that after 50 days after Jesus's resurrection, the Holy Spirit was poured out for the very first time. Through these details, we realize that on another morning, Near another mountain, God began a new covenant, just like he said he would. He came down in fire again and gave humanity a new way to experience his presence and power. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, on that feast day, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire like Sinai appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God delivered on what Jeremiah saw. 
God delivered on what Joel said would happen in the last days on the day of the feast of Pentecost. And as he did with other feasts, God orchestrated his plan for the beginning of a new covenant to coincide with a feast day. Wow. Only God can do that. And so the application for us tonight is, I think, clear. That God was sending a very certain message to every Jew that had come to Jerusalem that day to celebrate this festival of Pentecost. It was what Jeremiah had seen. It was what Joel had prophesied. God was pouring out his spirit on all flesh. It was literally happening before their very eyes. And just like the smoke that enveloped Sinai, just like that thunder and lightning and fire that the people saw and heard and experienced and realized, this is the power and presence of God. So it was that the Jews that were in Jerusalem that day and had gathered to celebrate Pentecost saw the tangible demonstration of God's spirit and presence among his people in a way it had never been demonstrated before the very spirit of God filled those precious obedient disciples who waited who waited for 10 days for some promise sure they didn't know exactly what it was but they believed the word of the Lord and they stayed assembled together and they prayed and God's spirit was poured out on them for the very first time a rushing mighty wind Picture Sinai and then picture that upper room. I have to believe there were similarities in the atmosphere. There were tongues like fire. God's voice sounded and looked like fire on Sinai. It is absolutely significant that this took place on a holiday when they would wave two loaves of bread to God as an offering to say, God, we are totally dependent on you. And I would say that for us, that symbolizes why we need the Spirit of God. And why Jesus said, you must wait. Don't go on with the mission yet, disciples. You must wait for the promise of the Father. You're going to need that power, just like you need me to provide for you. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born of water and Spirit. He told his followers very clearly, wait For the promise. Wait for this power. Jesus explained to them that the power was necessary for them to go on the mission to be witnesses for him in the earth. And so for them it wasn't a question of is this really necessary? Haven't we been through enough? Haven't we followed him long enough? Haven't we been waiting and trying to figure this out long enough? No. Why were they waiting? They were waiting to receive God's power in their lives. And here at TCC, we believe that that promise is still for as many as the Lord our God will call. It is necessary to experience what they did in the upper room that day. Jesus said so. So don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. He absolutely did. The question should not be, is it necessary? The question should be, why is it necessary? 
And the why is very simple. And to me, the why is very exciting that we need the power of God in our lives and it is available to us. Luke is careful to let us know who was present in the group that day. The disciples were in the upper room. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, had to be filled with the Spirit. Mary did what no other human being ever did. She literally housed the power and presence of God in her body. And yet, she still did not have access to that power until she was filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no better example among the disciples than my man, Simon Peter. What a guy. What changed in Peter from the guy who totally wimped out in front of a little servant girl as to who Jesus was and his connection to him? What changed in that old fisherman from that low point in his life to be the very man who stands up in front of thousands of Jews and says, this is exactly what Joel was talking about. And you need to experience this power. What was the change in Peter before and Peter on the day of Pentecost? Peter had now been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that spirit is what empowered him and gave him the boldness to preach the first message of the church. You see, for Peter, it was not enough for him to just walk with Jesus and be around him. It wasn't enough for him to see the miracles. It wasn't enough for Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. It wasn't enough for Peter to hold the baskets of the loaves and fishes that were left over. It wasn't even enough for Peter to walk on the water towards Jesus. Those experiences, as powerful as they were in Peter's life, did not give him the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Pentecost was what bridged the gap from who Peter had been to who he would now be, a powerful witness in the earth. And so this Pentecost in Acts 2 was a powerful public demonstration among thousands of people. The Feast of Pentecost, once again, had been celebrated by the Jews for 1,500 years. Pentecost was not a new thing to them. But this one certainly was. And unlike Sinai, Peter got up and preached that this experience was for everyone. In Sinai, everybody was so fearful and intimidated. They told Moses, you talk to God for us. Because we can't talk to God. We're going to die in the process. And then Peter changes it all with a sermon to say that even though they had obeyed the Torah, they had celebrated the Feast of Pentecost from generation to generation, now it would be that the promise of God's spirit and power was for them and for their children and for anyone that God would call. That just as they had kept that feast, now this promise would be for their children as well. And so tonight we're going to do an app time and I'm going to give you two, um, two options to discuss with someone around you. I hope you'll find somebody you feel comfortable with. What does the application and meaning of Passover look like in our everyday spiritual lives? Now you can go more of the feast route, what they presented in the temple on that day, or you can go more of the day of Pentecost route and that's fine too. Or, and I think this could be really interesting, how did your life change 
after you received the Holy Spirit for the very first time. Okay, so two options. I'm going to give you a few minutes. We have the time. Ready, set, go. I will invite you to stand with me, as I usually do after app time. But the question should never be, even though it comes up a lot in my experience, is the infilling of the Spirit by speaking in tongues like they did in Acts 2, is that really necessary? That's not the right question because the why that you should be is so amazing and life-changing. I would argue that the why Jesus gave the disciples to wait is the why that we can believe and give to others as they wait for that experience themselves. Because the truth is we need the power of God in our lives. And when we surrender to God in a moment as we seek and pray for his spirit to come dwell in us with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we are acknowledging, God, my life is totally surrendered to you. And for some people, that is the hard part. That is a leap of faith for them. And so that is why we teach and we focus on the fact that it is a gift. It is a promise. The terms the Bible uses are so full of faith and promise that we need to focus on those. Because the infilling of the Spirit is not so that we look like crazy Pentecostals, although most of us are very comfortable with that identity. It's not just so that we can point our spiritual heritage to Azusa Street in Topeka, Kansas. But the reason God still gives His Spirit, the only reason He gives His Spirit, is so that we have power to be a witness in the earth. We need that power. The world that we live in needs us to have that power. And I think it's significant that the infilling of the Spirit is something that sometimes we struggle with emphasizing its importance, especially in church culture sometimes. And I think that's simply because it requires total surrender, and not everybody is willing to do that. Not everybody is ready to do that. Our founding bishops, Granddad and Grandma Pasley, were known for a couple of songs. And one of the songs that they would sing, and it was a hit in its day, was called Pentecostal Music. And the way they did the song was, was very cool. It was, so, it was so them. Granddad would sing the verses. It was essentially the book of Acts put to music in a song. And Grandma would kind of preach over him as he sang the message of Pentecost. And it was so cool. Only she could 
do that. But it sounds a little chaotic, but trust me, I'll, I'll post a, a link to it on YouTube. It, it worked very, very well. But in verse 3, Grandma would say, Cornelius was a good man, but you know that just isn't enough. You have to be born again. And that's what we teach and preach still, 50 years later in this church. Nicodemus was a good man. And Jesus told him, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Those Jews were good people. They were there celebrating Pentecost. They were bringing offerings, acknowledging who God was and who they needed him to be in their lives. And yet, they still needed the power of God. And thankfully, in Acts 10, that experience was no longer limited to the Jews. But now, it came to us Gentiles. Cornelius was a good man. He paid tithes and offerings. He, he did all of these good things. And yet, Peter was sent to tell him, you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It is for you. It is for everyone. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to give God praise that a couple weeks ago, many children in this church at this altar were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, if God can give it to a child who does not even understand exactly all that is taking place in that moment, if God will trust a child with the gift of his spirit, the power of his spirit, God will trust you and anyone else that you know. He wants to give them that gift because we need the power of God in our lives. The world that we're living in needs to see and experience the power of God in their lives. And we have to have God's spirit in order to be witnesses to them of that fact. Amen. I'm so glad I know who Jesus is. I'm so glad all of the Bible points me to him and explains to me who he is, what he wants to do in my life, what he wants to do through my life to help other people. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the power of your word, the accessibility, Lord, of your mighty presence in our lives that you no longer speak to us through words written on a tablet of stone. But God, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, your word is written on our hearts because you have come to dwell within us. And so God, don't let us ever be afraid or intimidated to tell somebody that they need to be born of the Spirit. God, help us to redirect the question of necessity to the why it is so important and vital according to your word. And so God, I pray that you would just renew our heart and passion for this message that we teach and preach in this church. I pray, Lord, for another powerful demonstration of your spirit, that there would not be one person at the Calvary Church who does not receive the spirit of God within them by the evidence of speaking in another language. In Jesus' name, we receive your word. We believe it is true, and we are committed to sharing it, to be witnesses for you in this earth. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, 
please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.